Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today I have Dalton Frank with me and I'm extremely excited to have him on because a topic that a lot of people sideswipe when trying to approach their fitness or fat loss goals is the stuff that is the super glue to everything because it doesn't matter the results you get if you can't keep them and people are trying to rush the process they see this before and after photo and then want that for themselves it's all well and good and yeah you can get results but a thing that gets missed in all of this is to have fun in the process and to make it something that you enjoy because Mm -hmm. you can easily burn out you can easily lose motivation and Mm -hmm. a big part of what we are going to be talking about is motivation it's unrealistic expectations it's behavior change goal setting Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. creating Mm -hmm. creating a a framework that allows you to see that progress exists within this framework Mm -hmm. yeah you can like there's kind of like for like folks I don't even know how to pronounce it f-a-u-x folks folks progress and there's real progress Mm -hmm. so with that I'm gonna let you introduce yourself and introduce why behavior change is so important and why the first month of working with a coach shouldn't be focused on how much weight you lose or how much Mm -hmm. like the extent of results you get yeah yeah sure well thanks for having me on Ruby um hey everyone I'm Dalton uh, if anyone here doesn't know who I am I'll give you a little bit of an insight I've been uh doing the fitness and nutrition stuff for about 10 years now uh nine of those years have been online I've um argued everywhere from Facebook to Instagram to uh threads now on all these different topics based around nutrition exercise in a way to help um dis- dismiss some of the myths and stuff like that that go around my big focus used to be on nutrition and training. I used to be one of those bros that would tell everyone, eat this diet or follow this training program. And as I've understood and leveled up in my own career, I really have uh, flipped that script and changed my approach to understanding how to get everyone results rather than just specific people that responded to a specific diet or a specific training program. Um, and so in that leveling up, I did a lot of study around motivation, a lot of study around um, behavior change, a lot of study around uh, stress management and tried to figure out things that would make that diet and that training program work a little bit better. And some of the big um, aspects that most people just gloss over is just like what we were just you were just mentioning there, Ruby, is goal setting, some behavioral change stuff to work on for, right from the start and really um, addressing and changing mindsets to get to somewhere that is a consistent or sustainable approach. And that word sustainable is a really interesting one because a lot of people can do sustainable behaviors, but it doesn't make it a lifestyle. So you can macro track for, for life, but it doesn't make it something that you want to do kind of for life. And so the idea is that we want to create these things that you fall back to and so that your baseline habits are things that regardless of everything else, just help you move towards your goals at a tiny percentage or at a big percentage, you know, we can get there quickly or slowly, but your behaviors consistently help you. Um, And one of the areas that I found so many people really struggled with was uh, losing motivation when they did something like ate off the diet plan or, um, you know, missed a training session or something like that. And they really took a hit to their motivation and found themselves stalling for a while and uh, trying to get recover that really quickly or trying to recover that over time, struggling to figure out what that was. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I kind of figured that out, um, basically when there's the study back in 2011 that came out, which was a sleep study that looked at, uh, five and a half hours versus eight and a half hours of sleep where these obese, uh, patients were dieted down and some of them had, um, small sleep and some of them had eight and a half hours sleep, good sleep. Um, and what we noticed was that there was they lost the same amount of weight. So we could see that the calories in and calories out stuff all worked out, but the percentage of that, the results that people were getting were totally different. So there was a like, complete flip. Someone was getting um, more muscle. Uh, the eight and a half hour group retained more muscle and lost more body fat. And the five and a half hour group lost 
more um, muscle and less body fat. And that was really interesting to me because we always think about how training and nutrition are these big drivers towards getting that. And there's something that was upstream before training, before sleep, uh, before uh, nutrition, sorry, that could influence our results. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what else could influence our results. And it really came down to understanding that psychology as well really does influence our results, our behaviors and those habits. Um, and so I started looking for things in and around there to build up skill sets to help out with people around that because largely when everyone jumps on with a coach, we're most people get really motivated. They're like in a hole, they hate life, they're struggling with something and they're like at their peak motivation. Um, and obviously that slowly diminishes over time and I didn't want to see people lose that over time and struggle through things. Uh, so I wanted to find out skills to help out that. And the the first four weeks are so important for that. It's setting the tone. It's helping create the understanding of what that would look like. It's getting clear on what we want when it comes to goals so that we can direct ourselves towards what we should be um, actioning and behaving like every day. It gives clarity on what things we can avoid or what things we've struggled with. Um, and so, yeah, the first four weeks is really should be uh, a kind of data gathering, but also lots of conversations around uh, behavior change, lots of conversations around how you can facilitate the results that you want through changes in that the environment, changes in your habits, um, and getting to a point where then everything becomes easier. It becomes a, like less effort to, to maintain. With the skill sets, with the behaviors and with the habits that we want to start to develop, where exactly does identity and our beliefs come into this? And how do you suggest that we go about, I guess, shifting them to a better level and shifting mm. them where we ideally want them to be? Yeah, great question. That's such a great question. Um, so most of us don't understand identity and um Inf impacting that so we kind of intuit it we go through like we have these conversations and um we've you know done things throughout our life where we like recognize that something may be how we perceive or whatever but most of us don't actually even talk about this stuff you know the emotional conversations or like psychological conversations around this pretty minimal um unless you have some you know kind of yeah like um like you've surrounded yourself with some people that do a lot of uh philosophy or retrospective conversations and stuff like that in my experience most of my clients don't do those conversations and a lot of that is kind of intuit uh, they've tried to intuit who they are or how to get there and I find a lot of coaches don't really understand this stuff either um, and so they don't really understand how to influence this along the way what they do is they give meaningless or not related practical recommendations that they've just seen shit passed around on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that that they just parrot to someone else, you know, like, you know, like, like kind of like journal or go for a walk or, you know, like you know, believe in yourself or give yourself some affirmations, say this stuff daily. Like all those things are just kind of rubbish examples of how to help someone if you don't understand who that person is or if they don't understand who they are. So a really big importance is um, trying to create uh, an awareness around identity and figure out how to pull that apart for people that really don't know. And so what identity is um, and where we can use that to get some information around this is these three aspects of uh, why we do things. And so uh, these are the scientific terms are autonomy, confidence, and relatedness. But I'll talk about them in a very, very basic terms. We'll talk about them super simply to keep it um, easy to understand for everyone here. So instead of getting convoluted, Imagine where like our body is a car. Everyone's seen car examples like uh, on Facebook and Instagram. So it's kind of not too far of an analogy to stretch to reach, right? So we obviously, we need the right fuels. There's a bunch of different fuels that we can use for our body. Uh, we need the right nutrients. And so this is how to get the uh, a roadmap to building up our own identity, right? So autonomy, I spoke about that before. Autonomy is like you're the driver of the car. So you can decide where you want to go, which roads you take, uh, you know, you can, it's similar to food. You have the power to choose what food you want to eat, what fuel you want to be able to use. And so when you have the freedom to explore those things, that's what gives you autonomy. That's what makes you feel like who you are, right? So that's one of the aspects. The second one is competence. So if think about driving the car, you don't just start driving a car and ace it. You don't become a Formula One driver or something like that. 
we all start out unknowing what's going on. It's a big, scary world out on the road. We have people driving around crazy. We have people driving by the rules and we're trying to figure out how we fit into this whole thing. And so we put in the practice, we build it up as a skill set, And over time we develop it. We try and find something that seems a bit challenging around it. And we continue to strive towards that. Now that's really important for ourselves because we want to seek that, that challenge in lots of areas of our life, things that we enjoy. So, um, you know, the things that we navigate to naturally are stuff that would provide us just the right amount of that Goldilocks zone level uh, challenge. You know, something that doesn't seem too far out of reach and something that doesn't seem so boring that it's easy, but it's just right. And so we're looking for some competence there. And the last one is relatedness. So relatedness is like, uh, if we use a car analogy, it's like everyone has a car or everyone's driving around and we feel like a part of a network when we're driving, right? So we can relate to other drivers, we can relate to other human beings, we can relate to other people's experiences. And that's really important because we as humans love communities. We want to share our journey and our experiences and stuff like that with like-minded people. So we need these aspects to help us feel like we are, we understand who we are. And so by knowing autonomy, by knowing confidence and by knowing relatedness, right? What we want to do, how we want to do it, and the skill set that we have, plus you know how that can be used in a community or how that's beneficial for ourselves and other people, they're the things that drive us. So when we know that, then we can start to look and explore how that fits in with exercise, how that fits in with food, how that fits in with sleep, how that fits in with stress. And once we've kind of got that understanding, it makes things so much simpler to go, right, this is going to help me move towards my goals because it ticks these boxes. It's like, you know, we're getting to the like, the bare bones here of what we want this to look like. I liked that you brought up, they try to make it like, they they think it's just going to be intuitive. And it mm. I guess it also fits in with the whole intuitive eating narrative where it's just like, yeah, but the thing is intuitive eating isn't really intuitive because you intuitively ate yourself to where you are now and you don't mm. really understand how to eat in a way that suits your goals. It's almost like, but you don't yet understand what level three looks like if you haven't yet played level one, level two, mm. and became mm-hmm. the person mm-hmm. to then live at level three. And you can't yep. just you can't just like build a mansion without mm-hmm. first doing the foundations at the base because it's just like I'm I'm just gonna like put all this money into a mansion and mm-hmm. if they say it's gonna take too long to build the foundation. So what? I just want the mansion. You're mm-hmm. just putting all that money into it for nothing. And mm-hmm. I guess it this is the point where it all makes sense in the moment, but when we start to act it out. We want results now. We don't care about all of this stuff. How do you mm-hmm. reconcile that and break it down so that there is yeah. such a disconnect or unrealistic expectations of what the journey should look like? Totally. Um, I love that question. That's awesome because it really ties into the, the idea of like how to get to true behavior change. Um, and so goal setting is something that we talk about all the time. People talk about in, in crazy terms, uh, and they just say like, let's set these goals and, you know, go about doing them or whatever. And we just kind of rush through it. And I did it as a PT. I did it as a nutritionist for like years. Um, and really it's this crazy, uh, approach to, to, to getting things rushing through our goals because it does, it leaves us without understanding what it looked like a few things, some stuff that we could potentially add to goal setting to help it out is stuff like what things have gotten interrupted us before, objections, what obstacles and stuff like that have happened where that threw you off to be prepared for those, um, you know, what things we want to be moving towards. So like our ultimate end goal, but there has to be some, some components before those as well. And some stuff that really helps highlight it. So because uh, we don't really create an attachment to those goals, or it's not as deep as we think it is, we act in congruence with the superficial nature of our goals, right? So an easy example is um, someone comes to me and says they want to lose 20 kilos, right? And uh, that's a a super common goal, weight loss goal or something like a big target like that. And, um, you know, so we can say, right, we can map it out. We can say, let's figure out your calories. Let's figure out the 500 calories deficit. You can lose this, blah, blah, blah. This will lead to 500 grams per week. We can see this over 40 weeks if we did X, Y, and Z. All of those aspects, right? 
what we actually haven't done though as coaches and as PTs is like we've done that person as a service because we simply haven't asked why that's important to them, right? The 20 kilos, we're assuming that it's important to them for health, uh, for sex appeal, or, um, you know, assuming it's important for their self-confidence, where there's like, you know, these aspects that we probably worked with a bunch of other clients and taken on board and they've probably, you know, worked, tried to do this stuff themselves, but really like, there's deeper reasons why that stuff, whilst it's a driver, isn't so deep as a, a, a means to change a behavior, right? So if you think about this, if you're stressed out and you have a crazy week and you want to lose 20 kilos, but your life is so hectic that by Friday afternoon, you're ready to just check out, go have you know a, a dirty fee, get on the piss and drink a bunch of drinks and undo all the work that you've done then obviously that that goal that we've set isn't really the thing that's going to help you get there. And so how we can do a better service to our clients, but also to people who are trying to figure out and understand this is by really creating some clarity on what that goal actually means to them. Um, and there's a few techniques that you can go about doing those things. But basically what you want to find out is how does, what does that person value? And values are a weird concept, right? We don't, we talk about values um, like we know what they are, but most people kind of don't know what they are. They just say stuff like value and catch words and buzzwords and stuff like that. But values are something that we do that we can't tick off. We can't say I was honest today, tick, but we can be like, I'm an honest person. So that can be something that we value, right? And there's kind of tears to these values. There's stuff that's like our overarching value of like who we are as people. And that's what we want to actually get to. Most people can see themselves acting out in like congruence with a, a value, in, like in in particular, you know, settings or whatever. But we want to find out what the deep, overarching values are for people. So most people, in my experience, generally have something like compassion as a value, or respect as a value, or trust as a value. These are like deep core ingrained aspects of the human condition and you know important to everyone depending on the context but those ones seem to come up pretty frequently and so let's use an example of one of those right let's say it's respect if we know that someone has a value of respect then we don't position their goal as if like it's all about them losing weight or all about them being able to exercise and do stuff we position that goal like it serves that value of respect they're not eating that food to lose weight. They're eating that food to show respect to themselves or to show respect to their family, show respect to their kids. And when we, you start to think about that, you're like, wow, okay, that's more important to me is showing respect to myself than eating this food. You know, I can feel stressed. I can want to eat this food, but if I eat this food, it means I'm not, I don't respect myself anymore. And when you start to think about that, people get this like internal experience where they go, hold on, that sucks. That's like, that hurts me to feel like I don't respect myself. And so they don't act in a way that makes them feel like they're disrespecting themselves. And so now you've given them direction as to how to attach that behavior to their goals. And they've, now you can give them a way for them to feel better about their actions and stuff like that as well. The actions and the foods that I'm choosing to eat is me showing respect to myself. It doesn't have to be show pure respect to yourself in every situation, but you can choose what that looks like rather than saying, hey, you're eating this food because you're trying to lose weight because it's bad for your health to be overweight or you want to look better in a, naked or, you know, all of those reasons that we, we, we hear, but rather they're losing this weight because they want to respect themselves, you know? And so that's, they kind of intuit that. Most people would say, well, of course, like, duh, like that's part of what I'm doing. But if you don't actually articulate it to someone, if you don't articulate it to your coach or other people, you actually maybe not even are aware of how much it is an impact in you. You know, I don't know if you felt that when I was talking about the respect issue, Ruby, but if uh, that made you feel uncomfortable to hear like you don't respect yourself, you know, it, you can feel it kind of like tugging on some of those values or some of those like uh, chords of who you are as a person. And so for me, when I feel like I'm disrespecting myself, that makes me feel like I feel like guilt inside me or like a little bit of turmoil. I want to push it away. I like, don't like that idea that I don't respect myself. And so that's a nice way to understand if something helps direct you towards your actions or not. If it didn't make you feel like that, you know, you want to push it away, you want to fight against it. It's probably not a value that you identify with and we can figure out a bunch of other ones, but that's an easy example for anyone that's listening. I actually didn't see it in the same way that you did when you mentioned that you respect yourself because I was thinking 
back to especially when I started and the way that I see a lot of people starting out it's like we're we're already woke we're the woke people but <laughs> starting out a lot of people come from a place of self-hate or wanting to move mm-hmm. away from where they are where they feel mm-hmm. like they feel just blur in their skin they want to change themselves so much that yeah. they aren't coming from a place of I love my body I want to respect mm-hmm. my body I want to act mm-hmm. in that way and then mm-hmm. I guess this ties into two questions that I want to go from from here you can't number one self-hate yourself to a place that you want to be happy a place where you can love yourself because you're never going to get there it's like running to the horizon the horizon never comes it's like a rabbit race Mm -hmm. like just going chaotic and Mm -hmm. the two that I want you to kind of branch off from there is you mentioned congruence but I want to talk about ambivalence as well and that usually arises Mm -hmm. when we're making when we're trying to make change how can someone work through that ambivalence ambivalence and incongruence and then also bringing in that motivation aspect the spectrum Mm -hmm. from a motivation to that Mm -hmm. intrinsic motivation that kind of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. values in with Mm self-respect in with actually getting to where we want to be and realize one in the same yeah yeah um yeah so some great some great branch points here and i think this will be where the conversation really just opens up and we'll see where this takes us but um this idea of um motivation and stuff like that we can come to after ambivalence because congruence and ambivalence are really important so ambivalence for those that aren't aware uh, is this idea that we understand the actions that we should be taking but really we aren't acting in a manner that is in line with that. So an easy example is people who smoke, right? In Australia, people who smoke know that it's bad for us. We've seen it for years and years and years on like the damage and stuff like that that it's doing to us, uh, yet they still act in a manner that is opposite to that, right? So people can know about the outcomes of something and still do it, irregardless of the the consequences or outcomes and stuff like that. So ambulance is um, a really hard thing to to work through and get to the other side of and there's a bunch of strategies but before we get there we'll talk about congruence as well so congruence is where you're acting in alignment with something that you're trying to do right so it's kind of like the opposite of ambivalence we're trying to get someone to become congruent right we generally describe ambivalence as a state of incongruence so basically scientific or you know grammatical words to say they're not doing what they want to be doing though because they, they they don't know how and they haven't really understood the psychological process to get there so ambivalence is a hard state to get over um, what what the research has shown is like you can't shove ambivalence down people's throats to make them aware of it it doesn't help so the more you say to someone guess what like it's bad for you you shouldn't be doing that we know that's like um you know you're walking yourself to an early grave or whatever most of the time that makes people dig in deeper there's a very smooth small percentage of people that do change from that but for the large majority of people that makes them dig in deeper because it feels like they've lost control um and that they're being forced to act in a manner that's not from their own perspective or their own wants and needs um and so that takes away that autonomy like we were talking about before um out of someone's life and when they lose that most people lose interest in wanting to do stuff they don't act that way because it doesn't feel like it's their own experience their own wants and needs so with ambivalence what we try and do is help people realize within themselves that they're doing those actions and stuff like that for them to discover that and how you do that is through uh, a bunch of uh, change talk or a bunch of motivational interviewing or a bunch of reflective questioning where you don't tell them what they are doing. You help them discover what they are doing. And it's uh, those tricks or techniques, um, not really tricks, those techniques that we use help the words and the understanding and the, the comprehension come from someone. Now, most people don't change really quickly. That ambivalence conversations and the, the techniques that we use around that is a slow process. It takes time. There's a lot of things that we are generally, when we're trying to work on that, um that has been a demonstrated behavior for years so we're trying to undo years of a behavior or years of an understanding or years of this loss of autonomy when someone's told them to do stuff right a lot of people get told they should be losing weight or whatever by a doctor or something like that rather than them kind of getting to that experience to say right i want to lose weight for myself 
And so because of that, they dig in deeper or kind of demoralizes them to lose a lot of their motivation. And that ties into obviously the next branch. I was going to say that sounded like the whole A motivation thing. But I also want you to tie into that. What are some common sources of ambivalence and examples of change talk that work through that? But you mentioned something about goals. I just wanted to highlight something that I say a lot, and that's a lot of the time our goals aren't our own, which makes it really hard Mm. to stay consistent in pursuit of that. We see people chasing certain things and think that that's what we should get or we're Mm -hmm. we're judgment or we think, oh, there's this amazing thing. I think if I chase that, Mm -hmm. I'll finally be happy. I'll finally be Mm -hmm. satisfied. So Mm -hmm. that ties into everything you're about to talk about. Yeah, totally. So there's also um, that aspect of the, the ambulance and the change talk that we can talk about, but the the goal stuff that you just mentioned there, the goals not being ourselves, that's why the, the goal setting stuff that I do with clients and I think every coach should be doing is so important because we're not trying to say and into like a, infer whatever goals that we think these people mean when they say like, I'd like to lose 20 kilos. Rather, we should be trying to like really dig into the why and like an easy technique that any coach is listening or any like potential client is listening that just wants to, or, you know, person that's listening for information that wants to practice this on themselves is this technique called Socratic questioning. So Socrates, we know who that guy is. This is a guy that just asks why all the time. And he's a Greek philosopher, but you can essentially ask why of your goal, right? If So an example of this that I've seen before is um, I want to lose 20 kilos. Why is losing 20 kilos important to you? That's the first why of that questioning. Well, uh, losing 20 kilos means that I'll have more energy and be able to spend some time with my kids. Well, why is spending time with your kids important to you? Well, I can see that um, time is important and I do, it's, we only get a certain amount of time in the world as well as I you know, watched my parents have a crappy lifestyle and they didn't have much time for me and so I didn't have a great relationship with them. I like to have a great relationship with myself and my kids. Um, so that's why that's important to me. Okay. So why is, um, having more time so important? Well, not just for the kids aspect, but what else does that compromise? Uh, not having enough time means I can't work as efficiently. I can't uh, do the things that I love in life efficiently. I'm constantly sacrificing things for yourself. So now we've gotten into layers of this Socratic questioning where we're only like three layers deep. Generally, I like to keep asking into like five layers, but this idea is no longer has this 20 kilos become 20 kilos to someone has become a, this time issue or, you know, feeling like they're missing out on life experiences or feeling like that the things that they've, uh, you know, uh, aren't doing is leading them towards an early death or setting a bad example for the kids. Like there's so many areas that we can use to say, right, all the stuff that you're doing now isn't to lose weight, to feel better or look better naked. It's to spend more time with your kids. Like that's a powerful motivator. That's something that you're like, fuck you're right like i should be i want to do this stuff because i mean literally i'm getting more like time with my kids like compared to i want to lose weight to look good in a bikini or look good naked like yeah it's a nicer one but like it's so artificial or superficial compared to this deeper real attachment to that goal and so doing this socratic questioning and asking why 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 multiple times get to these deeper meanings and reflections on things and it can be really enlightening for that person as well because they might not realize that how these these things go or where they're actually attached to. And from that, you can tie all behaviors to that to make it feel literally like it's the most easy aspect for them because no longer are they going, how do I just not eat this food so that I can be thin or you know lean or whatever? It is now, how do I eat this food so that I can spend more time with my kids? How do I lose this weight so that I can have more time for myself to experience life? Like it, it attaches to some actual stuff that gives you substance. Now, the reason that's important is because the goals that we have aren't enough to make a behavior change complete, right? So we're always going to be faced with these stresses that are going to interrupt those. And stress, I mean, lifestyle stress, overwhelm, work, kids, family, all these things. And that stuff that happens kind of chips away at motivation over time. And so the idea with goals and the goal setting self being so powerful isn't that it makes everything easy, but it makes you more resilient in times that are hard. So when you lose motivation or have had a hard week and are overwhelmed and stressed from work or someone, you know, cutting you off in traffic or something like that, you don't turn around and say, fuck this. I want to go get some food. I want to drink. I want to smoke. I want to gamble. I want to go do drugs or something like that as a means to just blow off theme and deal with that situation. 
but rather it's a powerful enough for you to go, right, what do I want? I want that food or something like that now. I want to say stuff it. But I also want this, I want to spend more time with my kids. It's just enough to give people a chance to think through that action and go, right, do I actually want to do this or not? It's not going to stop them from having those experiences, never. Um, but it's, it gives people a, a fighting chance to actually live through that experience and say, right, I don't actually want to act to go get that food or go drink or whatever. It just gives them, a, like, it interrupts that. And that's powerful enough in that you can pick and choose what you want to do after that. That's what I found has been so important for a lot of clients because they feel like they just get reactive in situations like that. And so now we've given them a tool for them to like think through if they want to act in that manner, or if they do act in that manner, instead of it being 10 drinks, it could be a, like a bunch less, four drinks, because they've got this understanding of like, all right, I still want to blow off steam, but I'm going to have some drinks instead of 10. Like that, the, the caloric difference in 10 drinks to four drinks is, you know, massive, but like that, that psychological leveling up that happens from this is insane. Like this is so exponential. It just, gets better and better and better over time and we get such faster results instead of having to constantly figure out how to change someone's meal plan or macros and stuff like that to account for the 10 drinks that they've had or balance out their training program so that they can undo the the the, the drinking that's occurred or the food that's occurred or whatever the case may be so rather than it being like a kind of cause and effect all the time we're now getting down to the very definition of interrupting those behaviors and creating new ones on top of it yeah, and bringing back to that why, why, why is it important to them? I always have this same conversation when someone wants something, but then it's just like, yeah, but because I want to feel good and I want to be able to wear clothes without feeling mm-hmm. like I'm going to get judged or pull it off. And it's mm-hmm. realizing as well that body image is never about the body. And I think that's really difficult for people to understand. So I want mm-hmm. your take on that one. Yeah, so that's where I'd like to use that questioning to really figure out what it is actually tied to. So rather than it being tied to like how you feel, it could be tied to confidence, it could be tied to self-worth, it could be tied to, um, you know, previous experiences around, you know, relationships and how that's been imprinted or patterned onto someone. So they might have just seen that stuff happening and gone, right, this is what I should be doing in my own life kind of thing. Um, but that's, I, I generally agree that the the... the body image stuff that I'm faced with isn't about the body at all. It's about something within them. And so using something like that tool is a nice way to tease it out for that person. Um, I never try and assume that it's going to be the same thing with any person. So I'm always trying to find out exactly their wording for, for themselves, because when it's their wording, that's the autonomy and the relatedness aspects that we spoke about before coming up. It's them figuring out that process of the thoughts that the words are in their head but also being able to relate to them as a person saying, right, like we all have these thoughts and like, you know, yours may be just a bit more stronger for you than it is for me, but I should, I have the same exact same thoughts. And it's so funny that our brains do this stuff and that keeps it human instead of rather saying like, right, like let's focus on ways to move away from body image um, fixated tracking methods or something like that so that we can take the pressure off. Those thought processes are still going to happen. So for me, my idea is like, right, let's not think of tools that we can use to help out in the moment when those things are happening, but rather think about the conversations that we can be having to like help them work through those processes to get to that point where they recognize that there's some ambivalence there and get them to work through to change talks so or getting them to stay self-aware the how they want to act as well. Um, and keeping it, um, you know, respective on their words, as well as then coming out from the uh, the change talk into setting up and aligning that with the goals and the values that we spoke about before. How does self-acceptance play a role in this? And also, there's a massive role of self-compassion, but mm. self-compassion mm-hmm. is also a yin-yang to discipline. There needs to be both with each other. And mm-hmm. I, a lot of what you're saying goes hand in hand with emotional regulation because I totally. feel like emotional regulation is the biggest thing that keeps people on their journey, especially mm-hmm. when facing obstacles because we want to be responsive, not reactive. So how can we sure. be more responsive, not reactive? Yeah, so I think um, I think coming to that a little bit after the uh, the, the self-acceptance stuff would make a little bit more sense because the I think the self-acceptance stuff is, uh, underpins this. So uh, for a lot of people, 
when they hear self-acceptance, they hear complacency. They don't think self-acceptance means what it actually means. So uh, when people are struggling with the behavior and they're like, right, I want to work on, say, not eating chocolate at nighttime or something like that, rather than recognizing that they have that urge to eat chocolate over nighttime because of um, stress, because of life, because of habit of behaviors that they've created before in the, the past, um, what they want is to, to change that and overcome that and to replace that with something better, right? And so if they hear the words self-acceptance around the, the topic of that, they hear, oh, that means that I'm never going to change or that means I just have to be complacent and accept that I'm going to keep acting this way. Really, self-acceptance is about recognizing that you are who you are and that's it. Like there is no, there is nothing else after that statement. You are who you are and that's it. And they, most people hear you are who you are, you can't do anything about it or you shouldn't try and change or you should just give up or something like that. But really self-acceptance is none of that. It's just understanding exactly who you are in that moment. And this is a really powerful differentiation because if you think about it, you can just to be a, have self-acceptance around what you're doing. It's not to impose judgment on what's happened. It's rather just to say, right, from all the things that have happened, this is how I am right now. And that's it. When you think about it like that, it doesn't feel like there's this pressure to change, which is nice because it means then you can act on actually changing things out without it being um, resistant to, to the stuff that you're, you're trying to do or without being made to feel guilty. And that's a really powerful thing because guilt is an easy thing to undermine so much of the motivation and the emotional regulation and stuff like that that we'll talk about in a moment. But, um, you know, it's recognizing that actions from this uh, completely up to you, but there's nothing wrong with being in the position that you're in that at the moment. Self-acceptance isn't complacency. It's not defeat. It's nothing other than just recognizing exactly where you are and that's it. You're totally fine for it. So emotional regulation you just spoke about. So basically emotional regulation is just a nice, simple, easy way to manage and control our feelings, right? In a productive way. So most people use emotional regulation as uh, an outlet for control. So they think, right, like if uh, uh, the, the idea with emotional regulation is you want to get it to a healthy way, but essentially it becomes a control method, right? So they're doing it in a means to control something that's going on. When I'm struggling with things and I get angry, I need to like, uh, you know, do an action or something like that. I need to go for a walk or I need to do this, do whatever it is to, to manage that. But rather, it's also with the acceptance stuff that we spoke about as well, it's rather recognizing that we are who we are and we've had that experience and that we don't have to not experience something, right? We don't have to run from feeling angry. We don't have to run from feeling frustrated. We don't have to run from or ignore or control or stop ourselves from feeling bad, bad feelings, right? If we think about all the feelings that humans have, most of our feelings that, that are described, that are like over 60% of them are bad feelings. And so we can never stop those from happening. We can never say, right, I'll never, I never want to feel sadness again. Because if we never feel sadness, that means we won't understand what happiness is because we don't have a happiness like hormone receptor. We have our brain op operates through references. So it can only understand happiness because we understand sadness. Like it's a contrast. We frame ourselves. And so we want to feel the sh shitty experiences, but it's not, instead of saying we're like feeling them and stopping ourselves from acting in a, in a way that undoes the work that we're trying to do, right? And that's a super important deviation that a lot of people I find struggle with is because they're like, right, whenever I'm struggling with a craving or whenever I'm struggling with having done something, I want to, you know, react and do something to help control this, to stop myself from feeling guilty about this or whatever. Instead, actual emotional regulation would be understanding it, being aware of it. So, yep, I'm feeling shit and I, I know it's because I overate and it's accepting it. So that self-acceptance that we spoke about before is like, okay, I ate food that made me feel like this and that's okay. And then it's saying, right, like, what can I do about it? How can I move forward from here instead of how can I control it and avoid it? So it's moving forward from that position rather than trying to control the experiences to never feel that stuff again. Because... Whilst it helps in like the short term, eventually it's like that example of um, uh, like not thinking about elephants, right? Eventually the elephants are going to come back up and you'll think about them and you're a failure again. So it kind of starts and under undermines our whole process. Rather, it's just about awareness, acceptance, and moving on. 
allowing yourself to move on from there. It doesn't mean moving on and being defeated. It doesn't mean moving on and letting yourself um, be okay with the actions and stuff like that that you took. You can work to adjust and change them. I think we all should. However, it's not saying that I don't want to feel that stuff again or I don't want to be put into a position again where I might feel guilt, where I might feel shame, where I might feel frustration, where I might feel anger, sadness. All of those are important experiences that we have to feel and we are going to feel. And if you try and take that away from yourself, you're setting yourself up for failure. And it's an easy way to unravel that whole motivation because you've basically guaranteed that you feel that shit again and then you feel like you feel worse. It's almost like instead of trying to replace the negative thoughts, the thing I love about taking ownership is that it actually gives you empowerment. It gives you back control. because It's like, yeah, okay, this happened to me. This is where I am now. I've got myself to where I am now. It may not be my fault, but Mm -hmm. now it is in my control to start to change, Mm -hmm. to start to take Mm -hmm. action. And instead of replacing the negative, think Mm -hmm. about, where you want to be but I guess if you haven't yet gone through everything that Dowson said before it's just like yeah but how can I have this place I want to be when this place I want to be is this body image of me being lean on me being smaller how can identity shifting fit into this so that we can make lasting changes because mm. a vision like that is only going to be temporary because it's like mm-hmm. it's only enough until when until when mm-hmm. is as we just mentioned it's not really about the body it's not really about getting leaner and it 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 serves you until a point but then what what happens then mm-hmm. and a lot of people struggle with breaking old habits breaking old beliefs mm-hmm. breaking old thought processes so mm-hmm. talking about that and effective approaches to overcoming resistance to change when adopting that new identity, that new behavior, that new shift. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, yeah, like a, a fun one and a hard one. Yeah. To talk through because it's obviously, it becomes down so, so personal and so contextual based on whatever someone is going through. Right. Um, so if we think about the, the resistance to the things that are going on, basically it just ties always back to ambivalence. It means that like the the words of understanding for them hasn't actually broken through to them to for them to be able to orientate themselves towards making a change. And so what I'm like in that time, whenever that happens, I try and create strategies in which I get my clients or whoever I'm talking to 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 for them to map out to me how that would play out or how whatever it is that they're trying to do get how that gets them there I, so i would uh, use a, a technique called and then or so what and so every time they make a statement it's like all right i want to get lean and i want to and focus on my body and stuff like that and then what you know and then what and then what and it's kind of like that socrates socratic questioning where you do this multiple times for them to realize that there's probably going to be some incongruity with what they're saying or there's going to be some disconnect between what they actually mean and what they want and so i like that tool of and then or um so what like or and what um or but what um anything to like join it so like we use that stuff as a means to help them create the link from each idea to the next place that they think that they're going to take this stuff. And if it doesn't, I like to use that as like a sense check or as a way for them to make sure that it fully aligns with their their own expectations of how this will play out. If it doesn't, then it's a great way for them to start seeing particular ambivalent points where they can be like, right, I need to make an adjustment on this stuff here. But rather, mm-hmm. if they don't get to that point where they reflect on that themselves, then I, as the coach, starts saying stuff like, you know, like how can you see that working out for you? and isn't this like, you know, being stuck between a rock and a hard place where you're struggling to break free from this, like helping them understand and tie the ideas together between what it is that they're looking for and where they want to be going and the disconnect between the two. Um, and stra- strategies like that is generally how I like to help because then once they've had that breakthrough moment of seeing some some ambivalence or the disconnects between stuff, then it can be the really fun part of like identity shifting and helping them become aware and being able to move through and a change to create new behaviors on on top of stuff. Yeah, it's all, it's like, you need to realize that what you were doing wasn't making you happy. It wasn't getting you to where you want to be. So something needs Mm -hmm. to change. It's normal to think that trying harder 
working harder, mm-hmm. just trying yeah, that one more, just doing that one more thing. Just mm-hmm. let me try one more thing. Like that is mm-hmm. so easy mm-hmm. to say before you start to ask for help. I think that people think they need to have their shit together already. They're too scared to ask mm-hmm. for help. And even if they have a coach, it's like they struggle on their own thinking that they should already overcome this obstacle. And the thing that mm. frustrates me the most is when they start to make progress and they want you to think they're doing good or something slides. Mm. And it's like, they don't check in for that sliding thing or it's just like, I can't believe I relapsed. When relapse mm-hmm, is normal. Mm-hmm. So I totally. want to talk yeah. about that part of things. And this kind of then leads to I love how I give you an A and a B, but then this mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. then leads to motivation is fleeting. And mm-hmm. too many people, as you were saying, people just pirate what others say. Oh, you yeah. don't need motivation, rely on discipline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's stupid. Got it. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. What strategies to sustain that motivation over the long term? And also where yeah. a coach can come in, because that's kind of talking about a coach, because it's like, okay, this is clearly sure. not working. You need that mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. view because you're in the storm. Yeah. And I mm-hmm, guess also mm-hmm. the online community, because that's why we mm-hmm. have coaching teams. That's why we sure. have our own coaching groups. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's definitely so much power in that. Like that that uh, team aspect is creates the relatedness because we have other people that have gone through the same stuff before. So that's one of those needs that we were talking about before that gets fulfilled. And that's a very important benefit out of that. It just helps a lot of people feel less alone. The relapse aspect is um, really interesting because I find that talking about it right from the start and saying, I expect you to relapse. I expect you to have times where you stuff up and go backwards and stuff like that has helped change the timeline and the the prevalence of like um, people being ashamed and hiding things and stuff like that still happens. Like we're all human. Like we all fuck up and make mistakes and stuff like that. The more, um open i can be about my own stuff ups and how i trying to improve and that i'm relapsing and stuff like that in the conversations that i have around clients helps them feel like it's not just them then and also just you know communicating and talking about it as a process but i also like to introduce the idea that you know change isn't a straight line it's a circle it's like relapse is a part of the process to go back to the start to figure out we don't go exactly backwards to you know what like right to the beginning but rather you go back to the start of what it is that we need to move forward or work on so it's not like a continuous cycle of just you know repeating themselves ad nauseum but rather you know it's kind of a circle moving forward at all times as well and so by doing that having that conversation, being open and honest about it, I tend to find that the prevalence that those things happen and has dropped down. So I find that if that's any tip for any coach out there listening to this is like communicate that from the start, like right from the start. First conversation I have on the phone is like, I expect you this to fail for you to have fuck ups, for you to make mistakes and for this to like go forward. The, the thing that makes this successful for you is that we keep adjusting and trying and overcoming those failures so that you move forward, you know, because the progress is never linear. It's always this like hectic, crazy change that happens slowly over time in spits and spurts. It's never like this smooth sailing, you know, like linear change that everyone expects. Um, so that has been probably one of the biggest tips and takeaways that I could give out there to any coaches that are listening. For any clients that are listening, just know that like I think hearing that you're human and that you make mistakes and that that's okay helps, definitely does help. Um and so being open and honest about that can help. Um, and asking, like I've, uh, sorry, as a coach, like a technique to get clients to start talking about this stuff is starting then right from the start of talking about when we talk about uh, the objections or obstacles that have gotten in the way, how that has gotten in the way and then how that made them, you know, relapse or something like that. So setting the tone right from the start and using those examples and trying to pull those things out helps clients be able to talk about it and feel okay about it right from the start, but also, um, opens a conversation to see where that has happened before and be prepared for it in the future and then look for similar aspects to happen in other areas as well. I, then we are talking about... Sorry. I was just going to say, I love that part about being human and understanding that there's relapse. And you'll realise that once you voice where you're struggling, because no one shares their struggles, no one shares a lot of the things that goes on, but you'll be surprised at how many people of going through the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've um, had like a, a pretty popular, like a community chat or whatever of 
uh, struggle, a struggle post, like, you know, what are we struggling on this week? What should, have we failed on what things have we stuffed up and stuff like that as well. Um, and it's, it's never as like one of the things that I encourage is that it's never meant to be in blame fork or anything like that. It's always meant to be just like, this is how it played out. This is how I reacted. And this is what I did. Um, you know, like this is what I was, you know, uh, instead of blaming themselves or how they could, you know, be better. It's just saying like, this is what I struggled with. Um, and you know, this is how I'm moving forward having stuff like that has you know made other people see it as well so like within the the group ch uh, community channel on my app that i use they have that those conversations but also um having that privately on the phone as well is so so powerful for them to be able to see because again social media is all everyone's highlight you know no one's saying like this is a shit that I, well very few people are saying it is a little bit trendy and now to see it um you know you start to see some people making that change but the large majority of people you're just seeing them posting their best life and that's it you'll have your lowest low after your highest high. And it's not mm. because that low is really low. It's just that when you contrast doing really mm. well with then mm. what happens next, it can mm. feel like post-wedding blues or post-whatever blues. Like it, it, yeah. um, mm. Let's talk more about actually using that community within coaching because mm -hmm. mm. I have my inner circle, you have your group. How can... Mm. A lot of people don't really use it. They feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed. It's like, this is why it's there. Everyone is within mm. this coaching group to support each other. It's this secret, mm. sacred, safe space. How can mm. something like that really help with sustaining change and taking people to the next level so they can actualize their goals? Not only that, mm. but realize that they then start to achieve a lot more than they first imagined. Yeah. So again, like with stuff like that, I always tie things back to relatedness and that the, those basic needs that we're talking about right at the start. Um, and so when I'm having that conversation around this, I always try and understand what aspects for them, the relatedness mattered the most. So some people might find relating to their family, relating to their friends, relating to their partners or whatever is the thing that drives that. And so I use that understanding of how they relate here to kind of encourage people to make that conversation. So if someone relates to their partner, I say like, you know, if you could tell your partner the things that you struggled with, what would that be? And they I like write, type it out and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I'm like, you can, you know, choose to share that with your partner and, you know, help them feel that way. Or you can choose to share that with the group, but yeah, they I ask them to share it with me just so that we can talk about it. Um, but the idea is that like by using the thing that they relate to the most as a, um, a way to, branch into that helps them want to participate a lot and then once it's out most of the time they're like wow yeah like i felt this before i've seen this myself doing this you know in the past or something like that they can have those revelations and then that's when i'm like right like uh, a lot of other people are struggling with this as well if you mind sharing that that helps uh, you know others see and feel and hear what you're going through and stuff like that to not feel alone and I don't ever like uh, push them or anything like that. I just leave it up to them. And a lot of the time, so like over time, I like you build that up to get to a higher percentage of people posting and stuff like that. But for those that are open, honest and raw right from the start and don't mind that, that helps those that are still shy or uncomfortable with doing those things just feel like that they can see it, but they're those silent workers that are watching it and getting the benefit out of it, but without actually sharing it. So um yeah, it is hard to to do that, but always tying things back to relatedness, always trying to find what it is that they relate to the most, tie that into an action for them to work on that behavior, and then leaving it up to them if they'd like to share that with others and stuff uh, in an environment that feels safe and secure for them to do so. And just continually like keep up keep up that same messaging over time, like keep asking them through those same things to to help out. Eventually, people shift to feeling okay about it, and it becomes something that they're wanting to share. You know, it's less confronting for them. Um, and I tend to find that's the 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 most successful route that I've had. I am so passionate about this subject in particular because. I feel like a lot of people, when they start something like this, their people in their immediate environment aren't really on the same journey as them. I have mm. a lot of girls that their closest friends aren't into fitness and health the same way. They they aren't they, they aren't chasing such a higher level or mm -hmm. the same expectations and so on mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. That just speaking about it, just posting about it. It gives mm -hmm. you the vibe of, hey, there are other people in this journey with me. We can all support each other. And they feel more attached to their goal in that sense. Mm -hmm. It's not like mm -hmm. they're, 
They're the yeah, definitely. odd pig, odd pig. I'm thinking of babe, you know, the pig babe. Yeah, yeah. The odd yeah, pig out. Yeah. They're not like the old, the old thing out. The old mm-hmm, duckling mm-hmm. out, that would that would work. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. if there's something in particular that you're struggling on and you might feel like, but what if I post really good things and then I fall off and then that's embarrassing and then I'm going to be posting that I'm back on it again. But it's like, that's not embarrassing because a lot of people struggle with the same thing of falling off and then coming back on again. But it's also really, there is no track to fall. But I really want to emphasize the fact that in putting your wins on there and showing your food and showing in a way that you're doing things, it makes it feel more normalized to you because you probably don't do that in your own life. You probably don't share it with your husband. You don't share it with your friends because they're not doing the same thing. So having mm-hmm. that place for you to share those foods, even if you eat the mm-hmm. same thing every day, it makes you feel more attached to not only your goal, but to the mm-hmm. process. You're able to enjoy yeah. it and create friends. You create a community like it's, mm-hmm. The future is online these days. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I guess Definitely. are there specific habits or routines that can help anchor, anchor new behaviors and prevent relapses? Not prevent them, but I guess like buffer them and bring in that same emotional regulation that we said. And on that note, how can setting unrealistic expectations impact our motivation and effort? Mm. Yeah, so they all kind of really tie into each other. So when like the 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 effort and the the effort perceived and the reality of the actions are imbalanced, that's when we get frustrated. And frustration is like the easiest way to talk about this stuff because most people, when they stop seeing results, or when they like when things don't work out or whatever, that's the first thing that they feel, and that's generally the big reaction that they have to something. And so trying to emotionally regulate that is like, how do I stop myself being frustrated about this so that I and do xyz or how do i stop myself feeling frustrated and lose this motivation and really that the the crux of it is getting down to that mismatch between the perceived um expectation of the effort that you're putting out versus the actual effort of whatever's happening and getting that back into alignment and how we can do that is really trying to understand what that viewpoint of that perceived action looks like to them you know we could be thinking like posting on um that in the community or something like that or some wins or whatever is literally just that action but to them it could be about the the um the effort in writing it out the effort in making sure that they come across like you know articulate and well informed or the effort that they come across in um always getting results the effort that they're like you know expecting out of themselves the effort that they've seen in previous diets and stuff like that being mismatched to what's going on here so they might be comparing contrasting what they've done you know 20 years ago 10 years ago five years ago a year ago to what's going on now and saying right nothing's working my body's not working all these things so for us it's just post on here because sherry helps you out and that's it that's the end kind of um uh, like you know our the, the the request of something is you know down here but for them is there's so many things that are attaching behind it. And so really it's just about recovering that and finding ways to help them understand what that mismatch is, where they're coming from. Once they're aware of it, recognizing what they could be doing instead. So giving themselves a new action on what that actually is and practicing um, ways to, to manage that. So stuff like being flexible on how they post or being, you know, flexible on instead of it just being a, a post and a, a talk through about their experiences and stuff like that, reducing that down and just being like, right, like it's commenting on someone else and stuff like that. Instead of just being like, you should be posting and stuff like that, comment on like, you know, congratulations on someone else's thing or like sharing a little bit about your struggle on someone else's thing or whatever, or even less, you know, just liking something on there and stuff like that. So just keep making it down lower and lower until their effort that, that they're actually putting out matches, you know, the effort that, we're hoping that they're trying to do and that that's kind of in line with each other then from there move it forward because when that is there's a mismatch between them that's when we get frustrated that's when we get overwhelmed and we just say stop it you know this is too hard too much i don't want to be doing this and stuff like that and all those um thought processes come in you know the like, uh, you know the 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 stuff that undermines everything and can take away all that motivation along the way yeah it's it's really important that you get that aligned and this ties into the whole conversation. So probably now listening through this whole podcast, you, you know how when you read a book and sometimes you read things that you never really read the first time, 
I don't really read things twice or watch things. Well, sometimes I watch things twice, but you get the point. You'll Mm -hmm. be able to do that with this podcast because Mm -hmm. it's like a circle. We like Mm -hmm. relapse to, well, you, you are now, it's kind of like that relapse analogy. It's like mm-hmm. you're doing it all over again, but this time mm-hmm. you've gone through the podcast with an elevated mindset because you already listened to it. So mm-hmm. that's something yeah. I implore you guys to do. I guess with that, is there anything else that you want to sum up about motivation, about behavior change? The two. No, I think elements. I think we really touched on like all the all the cool aspects and stuff like that. There's definitely like I could do a whole another hour on motivation just on itself. You know, it's such a massive topic. So. I'm happy with where this is at and I'd love to, if anyone's got any questions or comments or wants for another episode to clarify some things or to talk about motivation a bit deeper, um, just let Ruby know, hit her up. Yeah, let me know because I do love questions and I do love feedback and I love it when you guys tag me in your stories or even just share me the podcast saying your takeaways, which is what I get most of. So Mm -hmm. yeah, if, if this helped you, share it with someone write some notes, listen to it again, and even inbox Dalton. I'm going to put his Instagram down below as well. Right, Maybe you can tell us where we can find you just in case people don't hit the description bar. Sure. Uh, so my Instagram would just be at Dalton Frank Coach underscore coaching. So D-A-L-T-O-N-F-R-A-N-K-E underscore coaching. Um, that's where you'll find me on Insta. Super easy to send me a message. Perfect. And with that, You guys will hear me on the next episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to give this a five-star rating. You don't need to review it if you don't have the time, but that would also be awesome. But give it a rating and hopefully we can spread the word. Bye. Love it. Thanks. Bye.